0: Is you've arrived at a transformational moment for Omni we're approaching the Rubicon are you ready? Uh, say yes answer Jen. say yes sure yeah I guess oh by the way uh, I got a package delivered to me I was listed as chief financial officer someone screwed up somewhere Who knows? Maybe it was delivered from the future.
1: 49 a fan conversation podcast about amc's lodge 49 i'm chris larry i'm Bart corsi this is actually a very special episode and it's because we were able to talk to olivia sandoval who plays janet on the show and we spent about 30 minutes talking to her and you're about to, to hear that now bart any big takeaways from our conversation
2: I guess my biggest takeaway was uh, just listening to the real person and how different she is than Janet. Obviously, Janet is maybe half psychopathic, but uh, Olivia was energetic and alive and and cool.
1: Yeah, it was really fun to talk to her about, you know, kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff about the show. And I think as everyone is starting to realize in the second half of season two where the, the plot and the connections are pretty deep, it was fun to hear what it's like to sort of read those lines and think about creating the show. So... Here you are, Olivia Sandoval, a.k.a. Lodge 49's Janet, and our interview with her. Hi, Olivia. Hi. Hello. My name is Rhys and I'm sitting here with one of my co-hosts, Bart, from Pod 49. Uh, Jim, our, our third member, is uh, unfortunately traveling in Europe right now, so he's sorry he couldn't be here.
0: Oh, well, lucky him.
1: Well, it's nice yeah. to meet you both. <laughs> Thank you. Know. Really appreciate the time. Uh, you're our first official guest on the podcast. No okay. way. Yes. <laughs>
0: That's awesome
1: so we were excited to have you and excited to talk and thank you for your time my Um, pleasure so we'll just jump right into it and we'll follow the conversation as it goes okay sounds good awesome so can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up on the show and maybe just some of your experiences around being involved in the first two seasons
0: well um i got it was an audition just traditional like you do and I was just immediately I've never had such a wacky bit of text for an audition in my life it was this incredibly mysterious character and my audition was these two pages of this monologue that just I I it it, it was the one some of the weirdest and best writing I'd ever seen so I was immediately intrigued and I went in and I, I had a great audition and uh, with Deborah Zane, our casting director, and Peter Occo was in the room. And a couple days later, I found out I got the part. I mean, it was just very kind of easy like that, and I was thrilled because I knew that all of these fantastic people were involved in the show. And I had actually met Jim Gavin. Um, I didn't realize it until well into our shooting process that I had met Jim months before because his writing teacher and mentor is actually a really good friend of my family so that made it even more special that was like oh not only is this fantastic part but it's Jim's show and they sent me all the scripts and I was just an an, an instant fan I the stories were so you know they went all over the place without feeling scattered and and it hit all of these incredible you know, pulled all these, my heartstrings and then, it, and then it was an adventure and then it was funny and then it was touching. And I was just immediately in love. And my, my, my first experience on the show was, um, you know, we spent the entire day on a boat in Long, Long Beach Harbor. <laughs> so that was that was a great introduction to, you know, I got to know everybody pretty well because obviously you're on a boat. Where are you going to go? Um, so yeah, I've, <laughs> I've just been along for the ride and, um i I never know what's coming next, something that's so fantastic about this show. I, I so every script that I get in, i'm I, I'm just uh, you know, wow, I they went in a completely different direction that I never would have imagined. and i it's it's the least boring thing I think I've ever done in my life. Yeah,
2: that's great. Um,
0: what, yeah, it seems
2: like we all have that in common, right? that we kind of all instantaneously fell in love with the show. Um, in that audition, did any of the lines that you read, did they make them into the show, or was that was it stuff that I cut?
0: Oh, no, they, I think I'm, I, I'm pretty sure they all made it into the show with that first um, monologue that you hear or that you see on, on one of Janet's sort of monitor messages. Um, so in season one, I think it's episode eight, my audition was that monologue that I had on the screen and that in that kind of conference room and that, that meeting that Tarquin is running. And I, if I'm not mistaken, you know they had kind of. I found out later they had beefed up my monologue for audition purposes, but then later decided that it was just too weird to cut down, and I ended up keeping the whole thing, which I'm very happy about.
1: <laughs> you didn't really has some of the uh, in those monitor scenes, real Max Headroom for the 21st century vibe. <laughs> I'm sorry, remember, what? You remember Max Headroom, that like TV
0: talking head character? You know what? I'm embarrassed to say that I don't. <laughs>
1: well, we're embarrassed to say we know it because we're that old. So. Oh no! <laughs> but it might be a, a quick uh, twenty second YouTube because that was the first thing I thought of when because we, the introduction to your character very much is that floating disembodied monitor voice.
0: Oh sure, sure. And we've seen that. I'm I'm definitely going to YouTube this as soon as we as soon as we finish our conversation. Um, there's been a lot of interesting comparisons like that with Janet because that's been somewhat of a of a Archetype, archetypal character throughout television is the kind of like mysterious voice from the box, the mysterious voice from the screen. um I I thought the closest thing that I could describe her language as is sort of like a Jay Peterman thing, like it's <laughs> these all weird fantasies that kind of make sense. They make just enough sense that you're not completely lost, but then afterwards you're like wait what is what what was what was she actually saying and she's you know very i had a great those are always my favorite things to do are her monitor speeches because they're so you know hypnotic and it's i feel very powerful even though i'm just talking into a camera (laughs) it's like i'm talking to all time and all humanity (laughs) well you really definitely have the character
2: down it's impossible to imagine anybody else
0: playing it as well
2: oh that's very sweet Where do you find a connection with Janet? Is is there like any part of her that you see in yourself that you identify with?
0: Definitely. Especially as we've been uh, getting to know her better through season two, I certainly relate to, you know, even though Janet is extremely greedy and superficial and all of those things, she also has a deep need be loved i think and i think that the way that janet perhaps was raised um by her parents she's confused love with the um amassing of success and the amassing of, of of power but i i grew up in a you know i went to a really intense high pressure prep school um, for high school. And it was one of those schools that it's, you know, everyone goes to Harvard and everyone, you know, or, or the movie star or, you know, lots of celebrity offspring went to my school. And there was this intense culture of needing to be number one and needing to be the best. And it's, it's kind of, you to, to achieve a mortality in a sense, like you had to you had to leave with like, well, I'm going to be the number one something and you better find what that is. And I remember being an adolescent and being in that type of environment and feeling extremely lonely and scared that, Oh God, what if I'm not good at something? What if I'm not, you know, then where's my value lie? Where does my worth lie? And I think underneath her exterior, Janet is just really afraid of being valueless, of not having worth. And I think that, uh, motivates almost everything that she does. Um, I think she does a pretty good job of hiding it, but I think that mask is starting to disintegrate as a little bit as we go on with the story. So I'm really looking forward to that to see what is underneath Janet's surface as it starts to crack open, you know?
1: So, and we, we, I believe we've watched through the you we know, where, you know, where the, the, the relationship starts to get deeper between you and Liz. And we won't air this by the way, until after that episode. Um, Copy that. So if you're spoiler, be spoiler aware. Um, <laughs> but what is, what is it about that relationship between Liz and Janet that you think is able to kind of crack that, you know, business-speak Silicon Valley vibe of Janet?
0: Well, there's the kind of literal answer to that question, which is Liz punches Janet in the face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> shared violence. Yeah, which is just like, I mean, I think 100% that's the first time that even anything close to that has ever happened to Janet. And it's just, I think that's in a way the most connected she's ever been with a person. And it was through, as you said, violence, but, you know, nonetheless, she reaches Janet through that. And I think that Liz, there's just, Liz has such a deep intelligence to her and, uh, uh, you know, perhaps from Janet's perspective, a, a, a seeming ability to sort of, flow through life from one thing to the next without too much attachment. And I think that Janet is just fascinated by that, is fascinated by Liz as this creature who's completely different from her and who doesn't really need her too. So Janet Janet is surrounded by, you know, sycophants. She's surrounded by people who are constantly, you know, telling her yes. It's a bit of an emperor's new clothes kind of situation. And I think that Liz comes up and, and, and represents the complete opposite of that. Tells it how it is. Doesn't need Janet. Doesn't need Janet to like her. Actually has a lot of problems with Janet. And I think that that gives Janet a, a shift. It, it, it gives her a different perspective, and uh, she's curious where that could lead her. Like 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 Liz's um, ability to not need Janet is what Janet needs, if that makes any sense. Because it's completely unfamiliar to her.
2: Yeah, that makes total sense. It's also, it seems like, uh, you know, Liz is, is like impossible to buy. I mean, I know she takes the job to help out her friends and stuff like that, but she has that sort of quality about her that she is not uh, necessarily attracted to the thing that people are normally attracted to, which being, you know, ambition and success and all those kinds of things. And uh, the, the, the stark difference between the two of you in that way is very apparent. And, and yeah, it makes sense that they would she would really be... I mean, I think using the terms, it's terrible, but it's like she's, like, snagged uh, Janet to some degree and uh, yeah. needs more of it, right?
0: Definitely, and I think that also Janet recognizes, uh, you know, even though Liz isn't attracted to those typical things, um, monetary success, et cetera, she's completely capable of it. And I think that Janet is looking at Liz as uh, an opportunity to be her greatest accomplishment. Like, if Janet takes Liz and uh you know they go and conquer the world together it'll be an even it'll be all the sweeter because Janet can reach everybody Janet can you know in a sense control everybody um and as Liz continues to be uncontrollable that continues to feed Janet's creativity as to how to develop the relationship and develop her business um as they relate to each other
1: Did you do any research or I'm sure you did some, obviously did some research and prep for the role. What were some, you know, did you just deep dive into into TED Talk videos or what were some of the ways that you kind of were able to capture the cadence and the verbiage and even the physical delivery of these kind of, you know, neo-spiritual business types?
0: Well, I definitely went back and looked at some classic uh, Steve Jobs videos because that was immediately what came to mind. Um, and I also found a lot of inspiration in, um, I don't know if you've seen, uh, the documentary, uh, Theranos about Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, um, L, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I found a lot of similarities with her. And, and I happened to be watching the documentary, um, just, you know, um, separately. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's Janet. Like that's literally Janet. Um, uh, also, uh, 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 Vick Sahai, the actor who plays uh, Tarquin, we both, when we were shooting in Atlanta, um, ended up watching a lot of documentaries on cult films. Um, he recommended this documentary on on um, uh, called Wild Wild Country. Oh yeah, that's a Netflix uh, yeah. That's awesome. And, and uh, he sort of said, you know, you should watch this because I watched it and I think it's really helpful and he was completely right because we were both fascinated by how can someone buy into someone else's Yes. So with such dedication, like yes. what is, what is it that makes someone truly believe in like every cell of their bones that this person has the answer. And if we follow this person, we will ultimately get to the answer despite anything else that's happening on the sideline. Um, I, and I, I don't think that uh, Janet has at the end of the day, nearly the confidence that you would need to be a Pogwan, for example, but she's certainly trying to um and it's that type of social dynamic especially within the omni um, world um, it, it's set up almost like a religion in a sense so so that i found very um inspiring and i got a lot of good stuff out of that one yeah
2: it's totally like a religion um you have to buy into it even when you don't see the results and uh yeah i, I love that comparison
0: Yeah, janet's asking for faith ultimately which is a completely ludicrous thing to ask for in business it's, but you know nonetheless she goes up and she makes intense eye contact and <laughs> you know you're under herself
2: yeah it works every time
0: think, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you know you're filled with so many you know your character has just i mean it's the show at some level is just classic line after classic line and, and all the characters get to deliver them at times but um, Janet has some just primo ones over the course of the two seasons. Did you have any that, that are still your, your favorite? And should we all be
0: trying to make glamo go viral?
1: <laughs> oh,
0: I would love that, of course. is um, clearly the, the classic one. Um, I'm trying to think. There are several lines that happened in the last two episodes of the season that I don't want to spoil that are some of my favorites. Um, but, you know, everything Janet says, it's just, and it's, it's funny, as I was playing Janet, uh, uh, Sonia Cassidy started telling me that in my day-to-day life, you know, I started sounding like Janet, so we would go out for lunch, and she'd be like, you realize that you sound exactly like Janet right now? And I'm like, oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of, 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 a, of a good line. Um, there's, there's a fantastic, um, I just I just love that scene right after, in the bathroom, right after I get punched in the face where I, I just, I like that line, the taste of reality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a short little simple one, but, um, and also just these, like, you know, these jokes that come out, that I don't think Janet, you know, uh, 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 a salary that locals would call totally sick. I mean, it's just like, you know, she, she's all this flowery sort of like college educated language, and then she's like, and by the way, I've done research as to what the locals say. It's um, all part of Janet's manipulation. So uh, it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick a line. I I uh, I can't wait for you guys to see episode nine. I'll put it that way.
2: <laughs> yeah, Nina can wait. I'm really excited after it ends on such a note that just makes you want to continue binging it. Um, yeah, my recent say is when you take the energy of innovation and combine it with the practice of salvation, you get salvation.
0: Oh man, that's a good one. That one had me cracking up. That whole monologue in general, her her hologram monologue just had some some brilliant lines of of nonsense it's yeah. just nonsense
1: and, and next level on the disembodied uh voice bit too i like the sort of jump into this you know we've gone over we've gone past the you know lcd monitors rolled into the conference room and into full telepresence i'm so sorry you were breaking up i think you have to repeat that last one. Oh, so i was just saying it that i really found it that this hologram was a an advancement of the joke around the disembodied voice you know you kind of oh. go from the the monitor to the the telepresence hologram
0: yeah that was that was fun and that was a fun uh scene to shoot because um you know obviously i am not a hologram and uh this may surprise you but uh, that was done in post and uh <laughs> but, but what we did we did lots of it was such fun uh kind of fight choreography about how to like punch the air next to my head but then knowing later and uh i that was one of my most favorite scenes to shoot it was like we shot it. it was the middle of the night when we did that and you always know that it's it's going to be a good scene when it's the middle of the night but everyone's still having a blast doing it
2: it really reminded me there was the uh, french elections a couple of years back where macron macron won macron won and uh one of the people in the race did one of those things and kind of teleported itself to an audience of like a uh, hundred thousand people i just. And I just remember thinking at the time that it was a, a really kind of goofy gimmick for a political candidate. Uh, I don't really know anything about his politics, but uh, and I, when I saw, you know, when, Janet, uh, sorry, when Liz comes in and he starts screaming at you, you kind of know that something's up because there's no response from Janet right. about the break-in kind of thing. And so you kind of sort of feel it coming. Um, but, yeah, I was totally reminded of that when you know, she obviously guys through her. It was great.
0: Wow. So that, so that happened in, like, real life? someone was a hologram giving a speech. Yeah. A it was, that's cr-
2: yeah, it was kind of one of those things that they like make fun of on The Daily Show or what have you, or <laughs> Ask Me Tonight. And um, so that's where I sort of saw clips from it. But yeah, they were having a presidential race. And, um, you know, one of the candidates I think was trying to push the angle of the, the beauty of technology taking us into the next the next country or country, oh, you know. It was that kind of thing. And he, and he, yeah, he was exactly like that. It was just an image on a stage.
0: And here I was thinking that this was like completely outlandish and crazy. That's just the thing about this show is that anytime I'm like, well, that's nuts, then I do a little research. I'm like, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Maybe
0: not. it definitely seems
2: like it's very well-researched in every last little angle. There's no stone unturned.
0: I think more so than you or I could ever even imagine. I, I These these guys, these cats, that, that are, they're so sneaky and genius, and I know they have so many tricks up their sleeve it's so fun as an actor to find out you know bit by bit that it's like oh no no we did that on purpose man you guys are great Just the best team ever really
1: one of the things that motivated us to start this podcast was that you know some of the season one especially the you know the critics or even the conversation where it was around oh it's just like a slacker comedy or you know you kind of have this stoner lead surfer and they just kind of wrote it off and it had, you know that it was sort of lazy or and that 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 piece and that angered us so much and also it was clear that no one watched past their third episode or whatever that was one of the things that motivated us because just because something has a relaxed or a different kind of tone and styling doesn't mean that it isn't incredibly intricate and there's you know there may not be another show on television or at least very few that have this this amount of referential to itself and to things externally It's, it's remarkable yeah, was uh, like it
2: was of like a backhanded compliment almost like it's a fun show but there's not really any plot and we just were like there is a very deep plot you know it takes a long time
0: to unfold clearly you guys get it um i think that it's definitely a show that um rewards uh people who absorb television like like clearly both of you do um and i think that the sort of uh facade of it being kind of you know people say oh it's sort of a quirky like you know comedy and it's a surfer lancer and all this stuff that you know it's kind of a superpower in a way because it's very deceptive and that was one of my favorite parts about how the show has been evolving to the point we are now is that it kind of has an effect of making people think that they're watching one show and then you know all of a sudden there'll be an episode that'll be like oh my god I had no idea I was watching a show that was on this level um and I think that that is a sort of parallel to, uh, an a, a bigger theme on the show, which is that there is unbelievable magic in everyday life. There is profundity in the mundane, and that's what the show is trying to explore: is that you don't have to be like I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm just riffing here. You don't have to be a a CIA agent who knows where the aliens are in Area 51 in order to have like stakes and and and, and complex plotlines. You can be someone who's struggling with something that a lot of Americans can relate to right now in Long Beach, working class, trying to make ends meet. And um Jim said something one time about that I that I com- just completely made it all click for me that, you know, the idea that there can be someone who sells toilets by day and then by night he goes to this place where he's a luminous night. That to me is like that's that's the whole show right there. Is that you don't have to be the president or or the king of the world in order to be on a different to in, in order to touch the profound it's it's for everybody every life is that important and every life is that complex
2: yeah well put anything else come in for you or what should we be looking out for uh seeing olivia Sandoval upcoming
0: <laughs> this is where I should say, oh well, I've got multiple offers on the table and we're negotiating right now. No, I mean, listen, I'm 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 out there like uh, like everyone. I'm hustling for the next thing. I'm I'm looking forward to the future. Um, I'm producing a horror film. Uh, called Hitoriko, which is Japanese for only child. Um, so I'm working on that. It's very exciting to be on the other side of things with that. I've never gotten that before. Um, it's written by my dear friend, Linda Pine, and it's an incredible ghost story. And it's got, it, it kind of meditates on, uh, you know, some of the horrors of being a woman. And it's, you know, some of the horrors of uh, being, uh, you know, a person of color in a world that doesn't, uh, really make space for you, and so I'm working on that, and that's been super fun. I'm writing, I'm hanging out with my cat and my husband. Life is right. good, and anything is possible.
2: Life is good, and anything is
1: possible. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're also big fans of some of the work that your father's done, especially. This, I thought he was the he was the soul for me of uh, Sharp Objects when that oh. came Have you ever had a chance to work with your father yet, or before? Hey,
0: yeah. You know what I did? It was actually one of the first things that I did uh, back when I think I was 19 or something like that. I, he was on a show called Medium uh, with Patricia Arquette, um, and they needed someone to play his daughter. And so they called me, and it was it was a really uh, incredible experience. I, I was so green, and I'd never done anything like that before. And uh, it was a very intense um way to not only uh you know have my first real experience on set but also the first time working with my dad because i i play his daughter who has died uh and the show is a, is a ghost show so i come back as a ghost but one of our first scenes we shot together was him finding my oof, lifeless body in a car after i've taken my own life and you know i think that that, that, that was certainly a bucket of cold water into life, you know and, and we haven't worked together uh, since, but I certainly like you. I know my dad's fantastic. And thank you for saying that about Sharp Objects. I think that he really was such an important part of that story. And it's just one of my favorite things he's ever done. I was just so proud of him. I mean, his work was just so, so good. So clearly, I uh, have a lot to look up to in my dad, 100%. So are you saying
2: you, you didn't actually start acting until 19, or you didn't get on, uh, like, behind the camera?
0: Well, I knew that I wanted to act since I was about seven or eight years old. But, you know, I went through school and I, I and then I made the decision to go to a conservatory and get my training. Um, but that was my first. I think it was my first. I might be a little not technically right about that, but it was my first big professional project and it got me my SAG card and, and all of that. But no, I've been I mean, listen, I I, I never had a chance with, with both parents who are actors and growing up in L.A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's what I was going to do. It's just too much fun.
2: It seems like it's worked out.
0: You know what? It has kind of, I think, fingers crossed, touch wood, all of that. Um, It's been an incredible experience. You know, I I, after school, I spent a lot of years like people do where you're just hitting the pavements, and you ask yourself, oh, my gosh, is anything going to happen? Because you could be the most talented person on planet Earth and it's just sometimes it doesn't work out. So I feel extremely lucky and extremely fortunate to have not only found um a little corner for myself in this industry, but also i've I've been so lucky that the jobs that I've had have all been just so fantastic, and I'm so spoiled and lodge forty nine is at the absolute top of that list.
1: awesome so we we have one question that we were able to get from Jim and whatever uh, European hospital he's currently at. Um and he's a he's a big fan of your Instagram feed. And so he wants oh. to follow up and know what was the story behind the baby goat and if you still have it. The
0: baby goat. <laughs> I stole it. <laughs> I took it, I took it <laughs> on my carry-on. Um but the baby goat, so the animal handler on the show who handles the kitty cat and the crow that lives with Ernie, um also handles uh, you know, lots of other animals and there had been this goat that was born less than 24 hours before uh, he or she actually never met the individual uh, before they had to be on set. And um, the goat was just too young to leave alone. So she, the goat was in a cage, you know, in the uh, lunchroom and like basically all work stopped and everybody went to just go have a chance to, I mean, how often do you get to meet a literal newborn baby goat? It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. And I have a great picture of Wyatt holding the goat and of Gavin holding the goat, um, our, our set PA. And, and it, it, it went around. It went around. Basically, everyone had a chance to hold his goat. Almost everyone that was on set that day. So... So that, that's the story behind the the goat picture. And, you know, the goat, like, you know, definitely, like, pooped on a bunch of stuff. And, like, it probably wasn't the most convenient thing to have on set. But it was 100% worth it because it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And the sound that it made, I actually have a video. Maybe I should post it. But the sound that this goat made just melted my heart. It was this little, like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was the cutest thing ever. So, yes, that's the baby goat story. I, I did not take the baby goat with me. I, I hope the goat is well wherever the goat is.
2: And it hasn't been sacrificed. That's what we were concerned
0: about. No, 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 no. This is a this is a goat that has a very nice life but on a on a on a farm full of people who love animals. This goat is having a a wonderful a wonderful full life. I'm sure.
1: Probably coming to you soon on a lifetime Christmas uh, farm movie debut. I think
0: November. so. I, yeah, I think so. I think Janet, you know. Should try to rebrand herself at some point, and maybe we can have some kind of you know she's holding baby, baby, human babies, goat babies, cat babies, any kind of baby. That's that's Christmas with Janet. Wait,
1: I want that. I want that. I want to buy that calendar in the Lot uh, 49 nurse store. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, Olivia, thank you so. Oh, by the way, if you send us that, if you send us that clip or, or have you know AMC follow up, well, maybe we can edit in the uh, sound of the goat in that part of the interview.
0: Oh my gosh. That would be fantastic. Let me, well, yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can do that. All right. Um, well, thank you so much for your time Dave.
1: We really, we really appreciate it. You know, this has been just a, you know, kind of a labor of love for us. We really thought it would be listened to by, you know, a few of our friends that we get convinced to watch the show first, but you know, this, this sort of modest of success and, and connecting with folks like yourself and people behind the show is really special. So we really thank you for your time.
0: Well, I thank you guys so much. I'm so appreciative of all of the work and love that you're pouring um, into the show that one of my favorite parts about being on Watch 49 is interacting with the fans because you guys are all so intelligent and such cool people. And I feel like you're people that I would actually want to hang out with. So really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I I love talking to people who get it, you know, and um, you guys are just really making it all the worthwhile for us, really.
2: Thanks so much. That's great. That's really nice. really nice to hear. If you're ever in Brooklyn, look us up.
0: Yeah. Okay. We'll do. All right. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. All right. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day.
2: You too. Yeah. You too. Yes.
0: What is? Is I went down? <laughs>